0: Welcome to the Friday edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 528. I'm Kevin Coulson.
1: I'm George Conger. I'm Gavin Ashenden, and it's Friday, the 30th of August, 2019.
0: Okay, welcome to another program, the the program right before the apocalypse, if you live in Florida. Uh, You have responsibilities as a viewer, especially if you live in Florida. First of all, this may be the last episode you're able to like, or share, or comment on, or subscribe to. So please, if you're watching the Weather Channel and they have you completely freaked out, by the category 10 or 15 hurricane coming to the shores of Florida. Now's your chance to do your part and be a participant in the health and life of Anglican Unscripted. Lots of great comments are going on in our comment area on YouTube. Please keep that up. We really appreciate it. We read every one of them, even those who are critical of my wisdom. It's fine, my wife is as well. You're allowed to be critical. It's just, it's how things work. I know I'm not as wise as I think I am. Gentlemen, uh, George, we're worried about you. You live in Florida. I think you're a West Coaster, more towards Orlando there. Um, what's going on?
2: Well, I spent the morning visiting little old ladies who are petrified. Their mobile homes will be blown over. Uh, this happened two years ago. And, and uh, uh, well, this will be my 10th or 11th hurricane. I'm a little bit jaded. But, yes, a storm is going to come ashore on the East Coast. And then it's going to come across the peninsula and it'll pass over our area. So we'll get a lot of rain and wind and noise and storm, but not till Tuesday. So
0: well, you actually survived a category three or four. Uh, didn't Andrew hit your house and uh, uh, destroy it. And we lost George, George. George. Uh Oh, it's the hurricane. Are you there, George?
2: Yes. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, we froze. I guess the storm was closer than we (laughs) thought. 2006 it was, our house was leveled. We lived on the barrier island off of Vero Beach, and the uh, wind uh, took the roof off, and the the, uh, storm surge uh, inundated it. uh, Three or four feet of water throughout the house, and we lost everything, just about. Um, It was quite an exciting time but uh, since then uh, enough old relatives great uncles have died so I, we've been able to replenish our furniture and everything and now we're on the safer side on the west coast.
0: Gavin you looks like you're back uh, in England. No no I'm in France still. You're That's, in France because you're not as pixelated as two weeks
1: ago. I'm hold I've, I've learned how to handle the French internet which is I don't pixelate as long as I sit still like a stuffed dummy and keep my eyebrows from jumping up and down Otherwise, it's too much for the focus, and I go pixelated. So I'm, I'm trying to ride with the blow of French internet at the moment.
0: That's all right. Um, news this week. Uh, I guess there's two different stories that I saw of interest, and we talked about in the uh, pre-show. Uh, first, uh, Justin Welby is on his It Sucks to be White tour, um, and he's visiting some countries, Sri Lanka, I guess, and talking and trying to bring the peace he's brought to the Anglican Communion to uh, the peoples in other countries, George.
2: Yes, he's uh, visiting the sign of some of the recent bombings of Christian churches in Ceylon, and he's going to be there for three or four days. The Archbishop of Canterbury is the metropolitan of the Church of Ceylon. It's uh, only two dioceses, and it's under his... Uh, Jurisdiction, metropo- metropolitical authority. So he goes every so often. Uh, his visits causing a little bit of controversy because he is uh, preaching the the gospel of Rodney King. Why can't we all get along? Why can't we just be nice to Muslims who are killing us and everything? And and the re- response, you know, in public from church leaders is always oh, in this nice, polite little hand clapping. But sort of the uh, rank and file, and we've been. We've gotten correspondence on this point: is that we need someone to talk to us about, you know, regeneration and salvation and suffering through persecution. Not uh, we need to know what Jesus uh, would have us do in this life, and in this world, given these horrible things that will continue to happen. We don't need the pablum of uh, the liberal democratic West. So it it. it
0: the Christians there are what under.
2: Getting f- is that it, it. This is not really hitting the mark.
0: Well, uh, the, the Christians there are under fear for their lives. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Under fear for
2: their life. I mean, this is such that during the days the bombings took off, the uh, the uh, bishop of Colombo, the larger of the two dioceses, was the police, the anti-terror police came into the middle cathedral as he was celebrating, as he was elevating the hosts and doing the actual words of consecration and they told him, evacuate the cathedral now, and he refused uh, until he had finished the service of consecration. Now, that's a rather dramatic imagery, I think, that you can uh, uh, relate to. It's almost movie imagery. And the response from overseas church leaders like the Archbishop of Canterbury, and I'm afraid like Pope Francis, has been, well, if we're only nicer to Muslims, Uh, If we make friends with them and go to their house for dinner every so often, then all shall be well. And the responses uh, that we're hearing in our correspondence and that what people are telling us is that you don't understand these people want to kill us. They believe it is a moral duty for them, for them, Muslims, to kill the infidel, and we are the infidel, to kill the idolater, uh, targeting Hindus uh, and and, uh, targeting Christians there's a mismatch between the sort of pablum of Western liberal Christianity and the -the on-the-ground Christianity of the suffering, persecuted church
1: and there's an incredible arrogance too in uh, Christian commentators in the West who keep on saying the problem with these Muslim terrorists is they don't understand Islam like we do if they only understood Islam properly they'd know it was a religion of peace they'd know that uh, they have no proper mandate to do these things. Uh, we could indeed explain uh, how they're being bad Muslims and they should stop. And in fact, we expect them to stop any day soon because they must surely see they're bad Muslims. And of course, this is so completely out of touch with the reality on the ground and the, the dreadful overlaying of uh, of a, an enormously shallow and prejudiced uh, view of, of a kind of Western liberal relativistic islam which has nothing to do with the way in which people uh, read the quran live in islamic communities uh, or see their priorities and so it's, it's a way of evading the truth and evading reality and and it is of course above all incredibly patronizing and detached from reality
0: despite evidence to the contrary uh... Justin Welby was originally brought on to the Anglican Communion in the role of Archbishop of Canterbury to be the peacemaker, the peacekeeper, the person who brought the Communion which is broken apart back together again. And I think he believes, you know, despite the Communion being in disarray, that he has that skill still after all these years. Am, am I wrong in seeing that?
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> are we? Are we moving on to his offer to bring peace to Brexit-ridden England? Were you about to make a link with that, Kevin?
0: That's the transition. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Star Wars wipe. (laughs) I put
1: (laughs) my head in my hands because uh, I wrote a piece uh, saying that um, real temptation, when the devil comes for us, uh, an American author uh, wrote this quote. I thought it was very good. He doesn't come with horns and red tights. He comes as the embodiment of everything we've most deeply and truly wanted and longed for. Uh, and I have to be careful here because, <laughs> because my motivation for criticising Justin Welby is not as pure as it should be. I'm finding myself so critical of him that I have to ask for help, for charity really, but he he, he moves so close to parody that it's very difficult to, to find compassion and respect. One needs to keep a balanced picture. Um, the, 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 um, the, the Brexit derangement syndrome that people are seeing on the streets of Great Britain, where because four days have been taken away from parliamentary programme, over three years of discussing, the, the left are claiming there is a coup, despite the absence of tanks, armed police. <laughs> um, and astonishingly, the, the Archbishop and the Bishops of the Church of England have fallen straight into this. So out of nowhere, a group of six leading politicians wrote to Welby saying, um, since since there may well be an absence of parliament uh, for these four days, we're minded to set up a citizens forum. And of course, this citizens forum will uh, be terribly well balanced and terribly inclusive. And and we're going to draw together a community of people who can talk to one another in ways that, that nobody else can. And Archbishop, we'd like you with your reputation for reconciliation to chair it um the archbishop said oh my me are you sure
0: what uh, reputation are you speaking of yeah well
1: the, the, from behind the scenes a number of well-placed people have said actually this was hi- his idea in the first place and he asked them to ask him to do it Now, this may be uh, much too cynical and it may not even be true but it's terrifyingly possible the difficulty is that uh, so he he made some some sensible reservations. He said, well, I can only do this if you promise me that uh, there is no partisan outcome and if we're truly and properly balanced. And a few people said, well, who on earth is going to choose the members of this this democratic forum? I mean, and on what basis? The whole thing is utterly lunatic and utopian. This would be quite undeliverable. And then the archbishop Having only just disguised his glee at being asked to do this hugely politically relevant thing at a time of crisis, bringing the skill set that, that perhaps only he had was completely undermined when about thirty five dioces and bishops were unable to contain themselves anymore and said, "Yes, yes, let him do this thing, this wonderful, wonderful thing, and here are the reasons why we stand four score behind him and they then wrote an anti brexit anti english uh, memo of of horribly partisan proportion, which gave the whole game away again. Um, the, the, why he hasn't got somebody on his staff to say, Archbishop, this is a terrible bear trap. Uh, you may be pleased to be asked, but what is your intended outcome? What could you possibly deliver? What kind of Christian reconciliation, even in your venerable hands, could possibly pour oil upon the turbulent waters of a society that's gone quite mad? Um, and, you know, the answer was, well, clearly none, I'll keep out of it, <laughs> but he may well, not keep out
2: of it. The, the attraction for the Archbishop of Canterbury, and, uh, uh, Gavin, you asked who would be choosing the members of this body, and I thought uh, Carolyn Boddington had been uh, selected <laughs> to be the <laughs> person who chose, because with the idea that there would be mutual flourishing from all those selected. Um, the, the outcome is relevance. The Archbishop of Canterbury is not that dumb to know that this... He just, I don't believe he is uh, believes that this will accomplish anything in the political sphere, but what it will do, it will give the church a pattern of relevance, that the church is a player within the life, intellectual, political life of England. And so this is what the Archbishop of Canterbury is seeking to uh, boast the church's reputation among a slice of the elites. Now, from that perspective, it probably is a wise moose because nobody expects this to accomplish anything. But it to be seen, to be on side and to be seen, to be signaling what the right thinking people should be doing and saying, helps the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, achieve his goal of being praised by the Guardian's editorial page as to actually nope. building the kingdom of christ in england it has no relevance whatsoever
1: if someone you're quite right and if someone was advising him they would say you remember the last time you were given a platform on the national stage was when you went to to talk to the tuc where you then spouted a third-rate kind of political problem of a pseudo-marxist kind which deeply upset the few members of the church of england you have left most right. of whom are slightly right of center apart from the clergy of course Um, And he did himself no favours with this uh, platform of political relevance because he fell straight into the traps that were presented to him. Political relevance actually became political partisanship. And it's absolutely impossible for this Brexit exercise to do anything other, as the letter from the bishops showed, to be an act of political partisanship. So, yes, he may appear to be given a platform and it may appear temporarily to be relevant. But 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 it's a but it's a, a, tra- a booby trap.
2: I just say if this truly, if they truly wanted the organize, organizers wanted to have that person who stands apart, uh, they would have picked Rowan Williams. They wouldn't have picked Justin yeah. Welby. Rowan Williams is a member of the tribe. He is uh, lockstep with the uh, liberal elites. Justin Welby is not. He's a, he is. A, I hate to use this word. He's a bit of a political parvenu. He's a second-tier public school boy who doesn't have the, uh, the 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 gravitas of someone like Rowan Williams. Now, with Rowan, if just imagine if Rowan Williams had been asked to do this, uh, what would be the response? Uh, I think have been very different from conservative politicians. They would, of course, said, "Well, of course, he should butt his nose out of this," but they would take him seriously. Well, Roden Rowan- Williams not take Justin Welby seriously
1: rowan williams has a great virtue of being able to see both sides of the argument and suspend his own personal partisanship and although a number of, of of people on the traditional side of the church were very wary of him uh time and time again he showed his willingness to actually act as a neutral as neutral umpire as he could manage and in these circumstances you're i think you're quite right he would be magisterial unfortunately um the person who holds the office at the moment doesn't have those capacities, which is why it's such a silly idea.
0: Well, I think one of Rowan's greatest gifts was he's very patient. He didn't need the answer tomorrow. He didn't need this to be solved by tomorrow. And he was going to, willing to wait it out, sadly, in many cases too long, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I always saw and had respect for his patience in some of these situations.
1: Well, I think one of the things we see in Rowan Williams is many of the answers he was willing to wait for never came, mm-hmm. and it may very well it may very well be that he had worked out they couldn't come, and the best he could do would be to hold the ring and dignify the participants, which I think is on the whole what he what he tried to do. Um, you don't get any sense, I'm afraid. I'm really I'm really sorry to be so critical, but but there is no sense that that Justin Welby is able to. Uh, raise his perception over the wall to gain that kind of perspective, to allow people he doesn't agree with the dignity of participation.
0: Now, I want to talk about the interesting politics here. In America, our president and any previous president couldn't sign a bill suspending Congress or the Senate. Uh, that just, there's just no way to do that. And I am not old enough to remember the last time this happened in uh, England, but the Queen can just pretty much sign bills that... Uh, uh, Kevin,
2: I think you're at least three years old. <laughs> 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 Maybe. That's enough, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm
0: sorry.
1: I- it? You me. <laughs>
0: and so, I, I, I mean, it, to see the BBC and Telegraph just broadcast this like it's never happened before, I, I did find it interesting that you could suspend Parliament
1: well Kevin what you're doing is is very generously uh, and in your humility uh, taking the view of a lot of people speaking on their behalf because they think the parliament has been suspended in an aberrational fashion mm-hmm. but actually parliament gets prorogued as it's called really very regularly every every time there's a queen's speech parliament has to be suspended it's a bit like a sort of uh, a hiccup in proceedings it's a and um uh, all the all the Prime Minister asks the Queen to suspend Parliament, everyone takes a deep breath. She, the, the government then writes a speech which they put into her mouth which is ludicrous. Uh, and one of the, one of the most oddest things of all was to hear her parroting Tony Blair's socialism um, as if it was she had written it and then they get on with it and in fact um, the prorogation of Parliament mm-hmm. is very, a very long way overdue as this particular Parliament has been the longest running one for, for decades so all the the problem is partly that somebody had the balmy idea that that johnson had the power to suspend parliament over the whole period of time before october the 31st in which case if that had happened there would be no parliamentary discussion and he has the power to do that constitutionally and everyone got completely freaked out by it in fact what he did was uh, he, he prorogued parliament in order because he's the new prime minister with a new legislative programme and a new Queen speech and, and very cunningly he's simply done it at a point during the, the remaining few 60 days towards Brexit uh, taking only four days out of what would otherwise be in there but people are so deranged that they put all these things together and the association calls them hysteria <laughs> and so um, I mean it's perfectly normal, perfectly constitutional. It just has happened to the time people didn't want it to happen. Uh, and the hysteria is, is, is uneducated and, um, and all of course entirely from the left, again.
0: I, I don't disagree. I saw news reports on Boris where he put his feet up on a on a, uh, a a little coffee table while speaking to the uh the, the French president and it, it only took a, a microsecond but that's the one picture that made the news
1: uh well, what he was actually doing was saying this is the kind of furniture that if one was really boorish would one would put one's feet on so he put them on for a nanosecond <laughs> and then took them off and of course I, instead of giving us the video they gave us the still saying, here is Boris being rude to Macron <laughs> which was the opposite of the case, but then you can't trust the best. No, so it's,
0: it's,
2: humor, it's, humor is a very subjective thing in that uh, we had a recent case in the United States where President, uh, President Trump uh, was uh, jokingly <laughs> said the anointed one in dealing with China. Now if you see the whole film of the uh, exchange back and forth it's quite obvious that he is being silly and that he is adopting a pose and, and if you remember he is from New York This is not in the least surprising, but if you're one of these blue nose uh, people who have no sense of humor, no sense of proportion, no sense of anything, you can get yourself so very worked up. It's the same thing with Boris Johnson. Uh, Now, I'm, I'm not talking about the merits or demerits of their policies, but I'm talking about the silliness in which otherwise rational adults are treating these people and getting themselves worked up to a pitch that is just out of all proportion to reality. Well, I, I think, think in,
0: I, in this day and age, the competition for cable news and newspaper news is at an all time high where nobody reads normal news anymore. And it's all driven by analysis and headlines. And if you want somebody to click on your article, you have to have an amazingly scary, treacherous headline. And having Trump say he's the anointed one or seeing Boris with his feet up on the table is going to get a click.
1: One of the books I've been trying to read is a, is a very sensible book about the growth of fear in the last 30 or 40 years as a means of, of motivating people. Um, and it seems that the combination of the use of fear to grab attention along with the, the, the therapeutic... Uh, what for what, what the, the therapeuticization of culture, there must be a more elegant way of saying that, um, has led to the point where, where the capacity for rational exchange is severely reduced. And of course democracy can't survive the, 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 the movement from rational discourse to, to hysteria and derangement. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're in such a terrible place at the moment. And I, I really do think in, in our country, democracy is in a very fragile state Um, and while it would be nice it would be nice in some kind of way if the church could find a a role to play but apart from saying well we're now truly countercultural, you know know, we believe in the word the logos the rationality um, objective truth uh, standards that you can hold up and judge things by that that might be a beginning but of course it appears that um, Christian culture is morphing into
0: panic-ridden secular culture. I I have a quick comment about the church and society. Right now, society has science derangement syndrome and the church has Jesus derangement syndrome. Um, It's kind of the opposite of what you expect this far in. There's a new article yesterday published on the BBC saying there just is no gay gene. It's been studied ad nauseum since science began 1,300 years ago. It Ke- we Kevin, can't do I it.
2: Protest. I no. wrote articles about Gene Robinson for years oh God, and years. You're killing me, George. You're killing me.
0: George, so try your Lutheran
1: and joke, George. They have yeah. Not everyone's heard.
0: So here's science being science, doing the scientific thing, and the whole liberal world just explodes. Jesus did the Jesus thing, and those with Jesus derangement syndrome within the church. Are freaking out and apologizing for Jesus. He didn't mean to be a homophobe. He didn't mean to be a cynophobe He didn't mean to be a greedophobe. And, uh, one,
2: one of the fun things I like about is the politicization of science. Mm. We have this latest hysteria is that the lungs of the earth are dying yeah. the rainforest <laughs> is on fire in Brazil. Well no, not really. Uh, if you actually look at all the st- studies and the NASA photos and everything, This is normal. And it just so happens this whole meme began when at the G7, when President Macron of France uh, wanted to, well, you poor Brazilians, we'll send you money to help fight these fires, which happen every year. And Bolasano, the president of Brazil, who is much like Donald Trump said, oh, you poor French, Uh, you should be, uh, if you can't control the burning of your national symbolic cultural landmark, Notre Dame, how can you do anything about the Amazon? Oh politics! (laughs) The, 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 The end of it being that we have we had a whole bunch of bishops and politicians and celebrities and political commentators saying the silliest things about the Amazon lungs of the earth being destroyed that is demonstrably scientifically not true. And it's not that it's that there's science involved it's just that they're ignorant and that politics and a preferred outcome Drives all of the the thinking. Uh, well, Casio Cortez, our our famous uh, New York Congresswoman, said that she represents the most well educated, most intellectual generation of all times. And having children of her generation, I can tell you that they represent the least well educated generation since over the
0: last hundred years. They have no classical education anymore. And
2: but we're they, back. They do, that's the problem. They think they know it, but they're so ignorant. I don't don't think it's malicious, nor do I think they're stupid. I just think that they were not taught.
0: Mm.
1: We're back to Kevin's point earlier on about the fact that this, this, what this gay gene study does is to tell us that they don't know what causes homosexuality and then it's a profoundly complex mix of a tiny element of genetic variation and an enormous amount of environmental complexity but what it really does is to say you can no longer say i was born that way because i was born that way relies on the presumption of some kind of chemical or genetic predisposition but in terms of 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 heresy it's astonishing the way in which people are rude about the medieval church and people's dogmatic refusal to accept science because actually the popular view in terms of the science either of the amazon or of or of the causes of homosexuality Everyone in the street believes something dogmatically and scientifically untrue uh, and, and you can't actually even have a sensible conversation without being thought to be a heretic.
2: It, 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 Kevin, uh, helped me though because General Synod is on record saying that uh, about transgenderism that uh, you can change but then they're on record with homosexuality saying you can't change so where, where is the science in the thinking and the theology of the Church of England on sexuality that it's changeable only in one direction or that? Well, the,
1: the answer to the conundrum that you suggested is it's not, it's not science that they're looking to but it's, but it's whatever political goal the facts can be used or twisted to support so for a long time people said we must take pity we must redistribute power towards gay people they are oppressed because they are victims they're victim because they can't change but as soon as you want a situation which which allows change or which supports change then then the whole platform of the argument is turned on its head as if it never had been because in the end people never were quoting facts or science they were starting with a conclusion they wanted to find information to back up and they don't even notice That they've changed the whole their whole world view when they flip the evidence on its head in order to support a different conclusion but again one of the difficulties we have is how on earth you communicate truth in a society where everything becomes so relative and the means justify the end well i think that's important because i I saw
0: that's right i saw a pew poll um pew is a research uh they call people and do polls And it said like uh, 90% of people under 45 believe there was a gay gene. Uh, 90% of people under 60 believe that climate change is going to end the earth within their lifetime. And it just goes through all these things. And this is just people being stuck listening to news all the time and not really distinguishing or able to, within themselves, look and read into articles. They just hear the headlines and that's what they believe.
2: One of the, and and turning it back to the church, uh, the statistics for the uh, attendance for the Episcopal Church in 2018 were released yesterday, Mm -hmm. and it it actually frightens me because uh, we're past the war, we're past the wars, we're not seeing massive defections uh, as we did in the past, yet last year the Episcopal Church domestically declined in attendance about four and a half, almost five percent, and my own diocese, which is a very strong, healthy diocese, declined at the same rate as the National Church. Oh, wow. And I, 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 at the same time, I get these mailers, I get these things from the National Church, how to build your church, how to grow, how to attract people, let's go to this revival with the presiding bishop, that'll bring him in in droves. Yet the evidence, uh, even in dioceses that are seen to be successful, is decline. Um, now my parish is bucking that trend, I don't want to push that issue, but um, I think we've reached a bit of a tipping point in the sense that now that the decline of the Church of England is a generation farther along perhaps, but the decline can no longer be masked by where well, uh, a Diocese of Oxford is going to start 450 to 500 congregations and that'll change everything, where we're going to spend all this money to hire uh, transvestites to have gay uh, drag queen story time at the public library and read children's bible stories. I don't think that's going to bring people into church myself.
0: Well I thought the diocese of Oxford was going to start uh, 400 amusement parks based on the helter (laughs) skelter. They're going to do churches. All Uh, right. (laughs) What
1: they're they're talking about is actually something quite sensible. They they plan to to plant, I mean, I think I would do this. Uh, I know, I, I, I know the person who's been appointed to this work, and I think it's quite sensible. They're going to plan to plant 400 cell groups, which might become churches. Uh, it's exactly the right thing to do, I think, to, to invite people into into homes to, to make them prayer groups. You then got the terrible problem of how you manage the sacraments after that. And for Anglicans, that's going to become intractable because uh, they don't really believe in priesthood and the Eucharist. And if you start with a with a kind of Protestant cell group model, how do you transition to a to a Catholic ecclesiology? But so the the church has never worked out to do that. But it's not a bad idea. The only problem is that I think the person who's most steady-eyed in all this is pope benedict and one of the things benedict has said and he's astonished people is looking at the two billion catholics in the world he said that very shortly he foresees a greatly reduced catholic church uh which which um will shrink enormously as culture launches itself upon it well uh, if that's true and he's right and and we're beginning to see why he might be right as the as this astonishing assault of um, someone's uh, said I shouldn't use the word progressive again but I'm using it in the technical sense so we'll, we'll argue that on another in a footnote somewhere but as the, the astonishing impact of progressive culture eats away at Christianity and there are no there are no antidotal uh, um, forces pro- d- defending it it's, it's absolutely possible we live in a period of history where Christianity may suddenly and rapidly shrink in the face of the cultural assault that's on it. So then the question, what we we should be asking ourselves, is not how we grow churches in order to satisfy our sense of being competent Christians and and not to be seen to be failing, but actually reading the signs of the times, which is what Jesus urged upon us. Jesus also said there were circumstances in which faith may be very hard to come by. It would be more sensible, therefore, to, to swallow the pill of humility and say, Maybe what we're charged to do is to gather together the faithful Christians under a radar of a very aggressive society in order that we may survive as faithfully as we can in the face of diminution and aggression. Far better to plan for what's really coming than what we'd like to fantasize ought to be coming.
0: Okay guys, 34 minutes. I thought for sure when we press the record button, we're doing six-minute stops. I mean, our pre-show, we're like, well, there's not a lot to talk about. Well, we'll, we'll let's do this. Maybe something will transpire. Great job, guys. Now, uh, I don't. you guys see the little picture I was put up with our episode. It's usually a shot, reaction shot to something we said. Um, let's do one where we're all smiling and not just, you know. Uh, so, Gavin, if you could just lean a little closer. George, sit up straight. Look at the camera. Smile, and uh, I can use this yeah, for. I need to depixelate. Hang on. All right. Soil or all right, good. I can use that for the uh, the uh, uh, image on YouTube. I, uh, okay. I'm Kevin Carlson. I'm George Conger. I'm Gavin Ashenden. You've been listening
1: to episode five hundred and twenty-eight on Friday, the thirtieth of August, two thousand and nineteen, uh, maranatha <laughs>